Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash malicious compliance, where OP uses gay porn to fight back against his toxic landlord. Our next Reddit post is from username Tim. About five years ago, I was the office guy for a small lumber mill. My direct supervisor was the general manager, but the owner was also pretty hands-on. The mill wasn't generating as much profit as the owner believed that it could. He was probably right. The guy was smart as a whip with over 60 years of experience. One of the things the owner tried to do was hire an outside consultant to try and find ways that we could safely increase productivity and cut expenses. The consultant had owned and operated his own mill and also had a ludicrous amount of experience. One of the things the consultant had been pushing for was running the mill into overtime. He thought that we could increase productivity without incurring more expenses than we gained. My boss asked me to run an analysis of how much we would gain or lose if we ran overtime. I did the math and gave him the results, and even in the best case, every minute of overtime would result in a net loss to the company. This report had taken me several hours, as I wanted to be sure I gave him the right answer. My boss took my report, nodded, and the next day we announced that we would be running the mill in overtime. Two weeks later, when I prepared the the end-of-the-month financial statements, it showed a large loss. I was quietly seething, since I felt like I'd been asked a pointless question, my time wasted, and my input ignored. But looking back on it with significantly more experience, I think I know what happened. I think my boss was bothered by the consultant who had come in to tell him how to do his own job and then gave him bad advice. The owner wouldn't listen to my boss telling him that we didn't need a consultant. So my boss did exactly what the consultant suggested and let the owner judge for himself. As far as my report went, I think he just wanted to make sure it wouldn't cost us too much when he pulled the trigger. Tom, if you're reading this, I'm sorry I was resentful about the whole affair for the past five years. My bad. Our next Reddit post is from Machiavelli. My husband, Chad, is naturally a better decorator than many professional designers who have their own shows. Years ago, when he lived in an apartment complex, the rental office staff became aware of how beautifully he decorated his apartment. It really was award-winning. Literally. Anyway, the apartment manager notified Chad that his apartment was to be the model going forward. Chad was not happy with this development. Strangers moving through his personal areas, going through his things, possibly stealing things? Unacceptable. The apartment manager was quick to mention that this was part of Chad's lease. Suddenly, an idea occurred to Chad. Chad asked the apartment manager, Are you allowed to move or cover up anything in my apartment? The apartment manager responded, No, sir. We're not allowed to touch, move, rearrange, or cover up anything. Thank you. Chad put up every piece of male erotica that he possessed, and he even bought more. Posters, figurines, serious art, even a pile of magazines fanned out on the coffee table like some kind of doctor's office. Chad called the rental office and warned them against bringing anyone into his apartment who was a kid or squeamish about the male body. The rental office immediately sent over one of their maintenance men to confirm. Check and mate. What's funny about this is them sending over a maintenance man sounds like the setup for some kind of porno video. And down in the comments, we have this story from Just No Throwaway. I once toured an apartment complex, and the apartment we toured was decorated with dildos, head penis light switches, which was impressive and disgusting, and was just gross in general. There were dirty clothes everywhere, cigarette butts on the floor, and the tenants were just plopped on the couch in t-shirts and underwear. It would have been bad enough if we'd been warned and still chose to go in. But the management didn't say anything until after the tour. At that point, they said, Sorry, they're always like that, but they're the easiest to deal with. 
Like, what? You knew what we were walking into and said nothing in advance? Okay, bye. We will not need a card or brochure or anything. We will not be living here. Yeah, and what's even more disturbing about that story is that if these people are easy to deal with, what about the rest of the neighbors? It seems like if you chose to live there, your other neighbors would just be an absolute nightmare to deal with, so you made the right call, OP. Our next Reddit post is from Baguya Briarley. So, I work a full-time shift job where we change between two positions based on the day and hours. One shift is Monday to Friday, 6am to 6pm. The other shift was weekend, nights, and public holidays. We receive weekly rosters to show us where we're working, and the company faces heavy fines if a position is unmanned. I knew that a public holiday was coming up, but the roster only had me on the regular day shift. I approached the manager and explained, and she said that she would check it out. By the way, I was told by our head office that I would be the manager when the old manager quit, and while I was away on holiday, they hired this girl, who had zero experience as a manager or on site. Meanwhile, I'd been working this site for 8 years and had been the assistant manager, so I was not inclined to put myself out to cover her or the company. When I came in for my next shift, I found a note from her that said, just follow the roster, even though I knew that it was wrong. Sure thing. I spent 12 hours watching movies and doing absolutely nothing at two and a half times pay. I literally took my shoes off and spent the day with my feet up on the desk. The company got a $10,000 fine for not having the other position manned. And the manager got blasted for not using common sense. Our next Reddit post is from the book Man Cometh. This incident took place in India in the early 90s. The school where my sister and I had studied was in my hometown. We knew almost all the teachers since they were practically our neighbors. Around the time when I graduated from school, the principal retired and the vice principal took over as the principal. The vice principal was also from the same town, and for some unknown reason had some sort of grudge against my father. In local gatherings, he would always try to belittle my father at any opportunity. My father would normally let it pass, since he knows that getting into silly arguments with such a bully is totally unproductive. When my sister and I joined the school, my father was required to pay a refundable deposit of 5,000 rupees per child, which would be returned when the kid graduated from school. Back in the 90s, 10,000 rupees was a lot of money. I graduated in 1989. When my father inquired about the refund, the vice principal informed him that since my sister would be graduating in one year, both the deposits would be returned together. So, when my sister graduated from school, my father requested the school refund both of the deposits. There was no response, even after two weeks, and my father personally went to the school to demand a refund. The VP, being an egotistical bully, started arguing with my father, stating that the school can't refund the deposits. The argument became very heated, and the vice principal outright refused and said, We are not returning the deposits. Do what you can. You can take us to court if you want. My father went silent, left the school, came home, sat down with my mom, and went through all the school-related documents my mom had kept. He found the receipts for the deposits and took them to his lawyer friend. My dad informed his friends, whose kids were going to the same school, about the issue. The lawyer filed the case and took the school to court. The school couldn't provide any reason for withholding the deposits and fighting with the parents, so my dad won. The school was instructed to pay back the deposits with interest and the court dues. My father's friends, who were in the PTA, took up the issue in the subsequent PTA meeting and made sure that this would never happen again. Other parents who were owed deposits but had forgotten about them started claiming them. Paying back all those parents cost the school a ton of money. Our next Reddit post is from Texas Ford Tough. 
Way back in 2013, I was a sophomore in high school. We had a tradition that on Fridays, the cheerleaders, football players, band members, and other performing groups wore their uniforms to class. This wasn't a written tradition, and only the cheerleaders and dance team's uniforms broke the dress code, so nobody really batted an eye to it. I wasn't a skirt person, but I like dresses once in a while. I grew up in Texas, and it gets extremely hot in August and September. So one time while wearing a casual sundress in September, I was pulled out of class and reprimanded because the end of my dress was four inches above the knee, when the dress code said no shorter than two inches above the knee. I pointed out the cheerleader and dance team uniforms every Friday and how they reached mid-thigh at their longest, but I was told that was okay because students can wear official school uniforms, and I was sent home to change. Clearly, somehow, someone had forgotten that I was on the golf team. Immediately, my mind was turning to next Friday. The school had recently upgraded the golf team uniforms a year prior, and the girls' team uniform consisted of a short-sleeved collared polo shirt and a skort. If you don't know what a skort is, it's essentially a skirt combined with short shorts. They look like a skirt, but they essentially act like built-in bike shorts, and those things were short. I'd argue shorter than the average cheerleader skirt. So three days later on Friday, to my parents' surprise, I was ready to go to school that morning in my golf uniform. I explained to my parents that on Fridays we can wear our uniforms to class, and they accepted without question and took me to school. Well, by second period, I was sent to the office yet again, and the first thing the assistant principal asked me was why I would deliberately disobey her right after our last conversation, and threatened me with school suspension. She said I'll never get anywhere in life without listening, blah blah blah. When I finally had a chance to get a word in, I said, but this is my school golf uniform, and I pointed to our school's logo that was sewn into my polo shirt. You said that students can wear official school uniforms to class. Why are the cheerleader uniforms okay and mine isn't? This isn't even a skirt. It's a skort. It has pants. I still remember how pissed off she was. She stared me down for what seemed like a millennia. Then she snapped and told me to get out of her office and go sit in the lobby area. She said that I knew what she meant and she would be calling my parents about this blatant disrespect. So I waited and played on my iPod and chatted with a nice secretary, trying to keep myself distracted. Because, in reality, I was trying really hard not to cry. I had massive anxiety when it came to authority, but I still had my naive sense of injustice, and I just didn't want to let this go. After about 20 minutes, she popped her head out and, in a very monotone voice, told me that I could go back to class and to let the teachers know I'd gotten permission from the front office to wear my uniform. Then she went back into her office and closed the door before I could even think to respond. I spent the rest of the day dealing with teachers questioning me about my outfit, and I even had one or two teachers calling the front office to double-check my claim that I had, in fact, gotten permission. And I went to golf practice after school as normal before being carpooled back home. My dad met me at the front door with a small smirk. I asked him what in the world happened, because I knew that he was the go-to contact for the school, so I knew that she called him. He explained that when she called him and tried to get him to pick me up from school and talk about punishments for my insubordination, he immediately began to argue with her, and he raised his voice quite a bit, asking why I wasn't allowed to wear my sport uniform that the school provided to me as a dress requirement to my golf practice. And he mentioned taking this all the way up to the school board and resolving this obvious favoritism. He then asked me not to do it again, but that he was proud of me, and he told me, I know I told you to never start a fight, but to always fight back. 
I always meant physically fight back, but you really took my advice. OP, props to you for sticking up for yourself, and props to your dad for having your back as well. He could have thrown you to the wolves, but he didn't. Our next Reddit post is from Citizen Alpha. There are a handful of rules around saluting people in the American military. The when, why, and how of saluting is drilled into you from boot camp until the day that you leave. Even the order in which people give salutes has meaning. When it comes to vehicles, there are helpful insignias and stickers to indicate if it's an officer, such as a colored sticker located on the front of the windshield. My base was small enough where it was everyone's job, at some point, to do sentry duty at the front gate that had housing for military families. Sentry duty was pretty basic. You'd stop every vehicle, check IDs, and then wave them through. If they were an officer, you'd see it coming with those colored stickers, and after verifying the identity of the officer, you'd salute them and send them on their way. One day while on duty, I approached a vehicle with an officer sticker, and there was only the officer's wife driving the vehicle. I returned her ID, wished her a nice day, and waved her through. Pausing with a stern look, she said, Where's my salute, petty officer OP? Now, Karen here was the wife of a high-ranking officer, and had clearly fallen under the impression somewhere along the way that people were supposed to salute her. Some of the junior enlisted people might have even been saluting her, as they're pretty easy to bully and more prone to screw-ups. I politely replied, Ma'am, salutes are only rendered to commissioned officers. Karen angrily points her chubby little fingers at the front of her windshield towards her husband's officer sticker. I have a sticker, and you need to salute the sticker. Curtly, I continued, I'm afraid that sticker isn't an officer either. Frustrated, she pulled through and left my post. Me and my cover guy, the guy keeping me safe with a big gun, watched her drive down the street and pull right into the administrative building with the top brass. And then she huffed into the building as quickly as her soft body would take her. We exchanged a look between us with wry smiles, knowing exactly where this is probably going. Later that day, we get a new official base-wide mandate. From now on, all enlisted personnel will salute vehicle stickers of officers regardless of who's in the vehicle. Roger that. This is where the malicious compliance comes in. It's worth noting that when you salute an officer, you do it first, and you hold that salute until you're saluted in return and they lower theirs. Only then do you lower your salute. It signals that you're saluting them and they're replying. Additionally, when saluting a group of officers, you generally direct your salute and greeting to the highest ranking individual. Now, as far as I know, this stupid sticker salute order has no accommodation for how a 2004 Toyota Camry fits into the officer's pecking order. Additionally, if the car is unoccupied, it's not like that sticker is removed. After that order came through, we all began saluting stickers. Personally, I would direct my salute to the sticker. I would also prioritize sticker salutes over officers. Let me tell you, walking through parking lots was a blast because I saluted empty cars on my way to wherever. Other people saw me doing it, and so more and more people started doing it also. Not long after, the order was publicly rescinded. And hilariously, they added a new rule that you should never salute anyone except for a clearly known officer. Thus cementing Karen never getting another salute in her life. Down in the comments, Steaming the Cat adds this. I'm picturing a group of officers meeting on an otherwise routine morning. Why is nothing getting done? Where are all the enlisted people? They eventually find all the enlisted on base saluting a sticker on a 2004 Camry. Some have been there for hours. Why? Because the sticker has yet to salute them back or dismiss them. That was our slash malicious compliance, and if you like this content, check out my Patreon where I publish extra episodes. Also, be sure to follow this podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.